wonderful happy people, you're listening to the Happy and Corporate Podcast, a podcast that teaches you how to be happy and grow in and out of the workplace. My name is Benny. I'm an executive coach working in sales for a big corporation. I'm sitting down with my mic here to discuss all of the things I wish I had known before starting my career. In this podcast, we talk growth mindset, we talk happiness, we talk health, we talk becoming a manager and so many other topics. But what you will have is 100% authenticity and vulnerability, 100% English mistakes, and I hope 100% value in those episodes for you. But enough introduction, let's deep dive into today's topic. Back to the series where I interview great people managers. I'm so excited. If you can hear the rain in the background, this is normal. I live in Dublin and today it's raining quite a lot. So welcome to this series where we learn all about how to become the best people manager possible from the best people managers they are around. The reason I'm starting this series is because in my current role, I move from teams to teams every three to six months to cover for any long-term leaves within our EMEA teams. And one thing that I found very common is individual contributors, ICs, stepping into their first manager roles and being totally lost. Of course, many companies do provide trainings to managers around compliance, ethics, HR, and the likes, but there are very few that do provide training around how to be a great people manager and the intricacies and responsibilities that come with that. So in this series, I try to bring to you people that I've heard are great managers, have experienced as great managers myself, so they can share their wisdom with us. And until that very moment, we only had people that have experienced as great people managers. But the person that we're actually receiving today has been recommended to me by a friend and a colleague. Alex, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you so much for the recommendation. But today we are welcoming Mark Varley. And Mark is an experienced media and marketing leader. He has tremendous experience in agencies, digital advertising type of industries. And he's also launching his consultancy business recently and marketing and business consultancy, supporting organizations with their commercial challenges across growth, effectiveness, and most importantly, people. So I'm excited to welcome you to Mark and I's discussion. Hi, Mark. Hi, Benet. Nice to meet you, finally. Yeah, nice to meet you finally. For those of you that were listening to us, it's actually the first time Mark and I are meeting, so it's quite exciting. At the same time as recording a podcast, it's like a first meeting impression, so to speak. Maybe you can start by introducing yourself for people that are listening to us today. Yes, of course. So I'm Mark Varley. Probably the best way to uh, introduce myself is I'm an experienced, which means slightly old, media and digital agency person. So I've had 25 years of working in the, the sort of digital and marketing industries and during that time I've been in a variety of sort of leadership and management roles so have kind of moved from being a very technical useful specialist being able to do lots of clever things in years gone by to being very much a, a, a kind of management generalist where my levels of output were very much re, re, kind of uh reliant on the work of others to get things done collectively as a team because you become slightly less useful <laughs> you stop being a specialist over time 
I love how you're already making fun of yourself in like the way <laughs> you're presenting. So you can see that Mark has some sense of humor, you know. <laughs> you have to. You have to working in uh, certain industries and uh, I think the, the sort of digital marketing and uh, media roles very much quite a lot of pressure, a lot of time pressures. So if you are enjoying what you're doing and making the time go a little bit easier, especially with people around you so that, you know, people aren't getting too stressed about things you, you there's a need for sometimes for a little bit of levity and a little bit of um, enjoyment and smiles to stop uh, the things getting too serious yeah i agree and some positivity within the teams as well so since we're here to talk about management maybe you can run us through how you became a manager what when how that happened and if it was like a chance or an opportunity yeah so Early on in my career, it just happened to be that sort of natural progression in your roles. So again, very much a specialist at doing digital things. And I'm of an age where it was the days when banners were literally hard coded onto websites and pages and things like that. So the early days of digital advertising and just because you were there and had done a year or two of digital marketing meant you were experienced and were a leader in thought and application. So basically, what it means is you were being given people to manage in a role because you had a couple of years experience in a way that you were completely unqualified to do the job and have kind of people under your kind of under your remit who you were managing. And therefore, it was it was a case of being thrown in at the deep end. You know, can you manage these people can you you know you're technically competent so you must be able to manage people the two things are completely separate and i think there's an element in there of some people have naturally got a little bit of emotional intelligence and a bit of the empathy to work with others others are very good at the functional part of their jobs and therefore could lead people because they could do and ideally, there was a need for a bit of both, really, with it. But it was a complete and utter get thrown in. It wasn't by design. It wasn't because I wanted to desperately become a manager. It was just that, where do you go with your job progression? And that that became the thing. What I, what I did find, though, is that I really enjoyed being a manager when kind of given the job. And, uh, you know, the first time it happened is when I had my first career move. So I'd done two years working at a, a, an agency and moved to another one, a new digital startup agency. So one of the first ever agencies to do digital media as a specialism. And I had a team and a team where I was really lucky because they were all good people. They'd already been hired. I didn't hire any of them. I kind of just arrived with, here's your team. I think what you find is that you've either got some kind of awareness at the time, but you've got a responsibility to those people. And that was the part that came through to me quite quickly was that there was a team of us and we had clients. What you need to do for the clients and for your employer was one thing, but what you needed to do as a team to get to those objectives, to get to that stuff quite quickly, there was more strength and more potential in we rather than I. And therefore, if you pick up that quite quickly, then that becomes your focus really in the job. It was what, what did we as a group do day in day out to ensure that we were you know hitting the objectives of the agency but hitting the objectives of the clients we were working for that was the interesting part from being that kind of people management role is you, you some people like it some people love it doing it and other people 
really is something they just don't want to do. And I've worked with some amazingly good people who are amazing at doing technical aspects of their job, amazing at maybe managing, say, clients, but have got zero interest in managing people and teams because they've got a really single-minded view of what they want to do and it's out of their control. People like to do what they want to control. So I think part of that initial working in teams, one of the skills that you pick up on quite quickly is do you understand individuals as well? You've got to have an interest in people, I think, to be a good manager or to be as good a manager as you can be. It's not just the task. It's what does the individual strengths and weaknesses of the person, what is it that they actually bring into a team? So the team dynamics, if you've got multiple people, is really, really, really important. And I think those are things that were always a big interest to me from the start because you you pick up on these things and if you can get a team who like working together, that's a bonus. But certainly if they can work productively together as well, that's a key part to it. But you've got to understand how you might work with this individual versus that individual or how two or three people have to work together on a project or on a team. Really having all of that in there for me was always quite an interesting part of the job. And I think over time, you, you, you kind of pick up on these themes and they become a bit more natural. But at the, at the time, it was all a kind of maelstrom of information overload and just thinking it was all really interesting because suddenly you've got this job to do that, that's, that's interesting in there. But yeah, I think if you work in a role where you've got people around you and people to manage, it's their greatest responsibility that you're going to have in your job because the influence of a manager to make somebody's day good, bad or somewhere in between shouldn't be taken for granted. You know, the ability to help people develop in their role is important, but the ability to make sure that people are being treated fairly, you know, company culture, team culture, all of those things sit under the remit of a manager. You have to take all of that as seriously, if not more so, than whatever your primary part of your role usually is. Because the team leadership part and the team management part is usually secondary to whatever the goal of the company is or the organisation that you work for. So in my case, it might have been leading a large client account and making sure that they were looked after. But actually, that only happened if our teams and my teams were being looked after in the first place and being kind of well supported and developed that's the part of management that often gets forgotten about people concentrate on the end output that they've they're being paid to do which is obviously completely right and important but at the expense sometimes of the people around you who are going to make that happen so that to me is the the kind of essence of being a good manager and i don't think there's enough good managers within businesses is also my slightly controversial view of the day there's good people and there's caring organizations but at the more senior levels quite often the skills of good management get good people management get put secondary and that i don't agree with i think that's something that any organization that aspires to be a people focused organization needs to make that as much of a priority when things get to the hardest part of the day you know the hardest part of running a business it's as important it's and it's part of delivering the goals and the uh, kind of outputs of any organization. I like how I ask a first question and there's so many good nuggets in your answer. 
<laughs> so if you can't you can't see on the podcast but mark is Sorry. actually laughing because <laughs> before we started recording the podcast he was like i might ramble <laughs> but yeah. actually i feel like there's so many good nuggets about you answering like the first thing that i noticed is how you you know you progress from an individual contributor to a manager role and that was at the time the natural progression also in maybe organically this this space was growing the the industry where you are in was quite growing organically and this happened maybe mm-hmm. quicker than you expected and how it's still it's the case in some organization that the only way you can progress is also through management roles even if you might not be skilled with people and that might not be where your strengths play at their best And I like how so you put the team first, how it's like a resource to get there, but you have to look after that resource to get the business goal that you're going for. So, so many good nuggets. I was like, super interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Any like specific strengths of yours that you feel you have used over time and that, you know, in, t- in times where you feel like you're stuck, you're like, okay, those are my superpowers. I don't think I'm particularly... Uh special or super powered in any way but i do think that the probably score quite well on emotional intelligence and i think that probably the single most useful kind of part to everything because i think the naturally having an interest in the people around you whether it's people you're dealing with externally whether it's people you're dealing with internally whether it's people you report into within an organization You know, as, as humans, we're naturally social animals as a rule, not everybody, but most, you know, there's, there's that kind of need for connections and there's that need for having things reinforced positively, knowing that there is a positive outcome from those connections. So so I do think the the kind of level of emotional intelligence is quite often, I think it's accepted that good skill to have but it's not something that is always recognized within organizations all the time who should be running this or who's going to get promoted here quite often the softer skills fall down to the harder more direct technical kind of specialist parts Um, and that's where you end up with that imbalance sometimes of great technical specialists being asked to lead and not really being the right people to do that leading sometimes because they're not going to take people on that journey they're not going to engage a kind of large set of people to go with it so there's always that little compromise for, for me the, the the kind of eq side of things is really important and and part of that is having quite a large level of self-awareness so knowing what you're not good at knowing how things piece together so a number of years ago was working at a company where we had kind of personality profiling done psychometrics preferred team roles all sorts of different tools and things over a period of time we rejigged some of the team structures within the agency at the time because what we found was that you don't want two or three people on a team who are brilliant at kind of ideas and creating things creating and starting projects if you haven't got somebody who can help manage a project or somebody who can finish a project. So a really good case in point, I'm brilliant at starting things. I'm terrible at finishing things. So I used to work quite a lot with somebody who was amazing at shaping things and finishing things. We knew that if we started it, I'd be all enthusiastic. Brilliant. Let's get going. Off we go. And then you kind of drift away because there's something else to do. There's something else new to do. So you need that awareness of what you're good at 
to either work hard on the things you're not, so forcing yourself to finish things, or to be smart. And instead of spending twice as long trying to do things that you're not good at, let somebody else who's good at doing it do it in half the time. A normal person would do because that's their kind of superpower. That's their strength. And then trying to piece together teams that work well in that way, because then that's a much more effective use of everybody's time to do these things. So I think that's that's probably one of the the interesting bits for me is how you kind of look at teams, how you look at how they work together, not trying to second guess, but being very aware of maybe challenges that people are going to have going forward or spotting things where people's emotions, mood, energy levels, whatever it might be, are going to be up and down and just trying to support them when they need it, but also giving people space, especially direct reports. If they're managing people, giving them space for their style of management and for their way of working with their teams. So, and that that was probably the case for me in my, my last role. I had a few direct reports, but then there was another layer or two of reports below them. I wouldn't want to be elbowing my way into managing the tier below, even if I felt I had a a good quick answer to give them or something to help them with, because I didn't want to be basically treading on the toes of somebody else's role and their style and their, and more importantly, their development, because they're developing their own people skills as well over time. So I think that that kind of day-to-day use of emotional intelligence, empathy, just thinking about what other people are motivated by, worried by, need support on, is, is probably the big thing for it. And invariably, if you work with good people, the very selfish part to it all is you've got great people who are going to do jobs that, in a really good way that make everybody look good, including you as the person kind of managing that team. The other good thing is technically you get to the point where you're not very good at doing any of that work anymore. So it's good that they're really good at their jobs and I want them to be really good at their jobs because I can't help them if I can't do it if they don't anymore. So it's like I need we need everybody to be great at their jobs because it's the only way that the work gets done. So it's probably that area of ensuring that you've got a good view and a vision of what makes people tick and being respectful and mindful that, you know, the old saying of different strokes for different folks. What is it that person over here needs to do their job effectively, needs to be motivated by, needs to learn, whatever it is, is very different to person number two and person number three and person number four. So you've got to be able to kind of play chess to, to some degree and be thinking a few moves ahead, a few months ahead, a few years ahead for how these teams are going to develop over time. And how are you going to get there? And how are you going to do that day to day by supporting them? I love the strategic angle that you just mentioned, but also how you used and leveraged your emotional intelligence to really know in depth people individually and build the pieces of the puzzle to build the team together. And I really like that you said, you know, about the leadership style of potentially managers reporting into you that they have to have the space to develop their own style because it also means that you don't see success as a manager as being the same for everyone everyone has their own way of being a successful manager depending on what the gifted ways in a way on what this their style is about so that's that's really interesting really really interesting anything that you wish you would have known before embarking on that management journey lots of things I mean I think there's probably still lots of things that I don't know I wish I'd known 
I wish I'd know now that still haven't found out that I don't know about them. And I think that's the that's a couple of the parts. I think one of the things early on is that, or personally, you always want to be you know nice to people. You if you're nice and respectful to anybody that you deal with internally or externally, that's always a great starting point. One of my first managers always used to have this kind of phrase of you know you're starting at the bottom now always be nice to everybody on the way up in 20 30 years time when you're on the way down you want people to be nice to you back in it's that whole part to it and i think the one of the challenges early on was how you don't use the emotional intelligence almost as too much of a strength i think probably early on there's, there's that desire to be a friend a little bit too much and knowing that there's a little bit of a line, you want to have a good relationship, you want to be friendly with teams, but actually, certainly early on, there was probably a little bit, not enough of a separation. It was almost, you know, we're all one group and I just happen to be the one that's passing on the messages above or passing on the work to the clients or however it might be done. Probably that, it's it's making sure that there's enough space so that you're having a great relationship with the team, but also if there's a need, if there's a, a problem, that there's enough of a gap as well so that you can actually do the, the key part of your job, which is properly support somebody in a way that isn't by just being their friend. Sometimes it's more than that. It might be a difficult situation that they've got in their personal life. It could be a problem that they have with the organisation and therefore you're trying to be their advocate within you know, with a problem and, and taking it up to kind of the senior leadership, whatever it might be, things like that probably early on was probably a little bit too a little bit too chummy. I think one of the issues I had in a an early job was the agency I worked at needed to make a number of redundancies. It wasn't the being directly involved in that process that was an issue because I wasn't directly involved. But what happened afterwards was my layer, if you like, and again keep in mind this is three years into a into a career so not a lot of experience, was left with effectively running the company for a number of weeks with the remaining staff when the whole consultation period was being run. That closeness was a problem because it meant that it was almost too friendly and too being too upset for everybody. So it meant that you couldn't actually help them properly because you weren't being rational and objective about things. You were being emotional and as connected into that group as anything else. And actually, you know, having had a repeat of that many, many years later, the support that you can give people rationally in that scenario is a much different thing. It's a really tough thing to go through. And I think you, you know, you want to be there for people, but being there for them and helping them rather than just giving them words of support is a bigger challenge. And I think that's the, the kind of thing really to that was always a bit difficult, you know, the naivety early on in the career. A good manager, but it's being a little bit less structured. It's not having as much of a plan. That That's probably the other part I'd say within there is going in with more of a plan and more of an awareness. Whereas early on, that kind of thing I didn't know because it was all new was that there was probably a lot more dealing with each day as it came. Whereas actually, as I said before, now with a team, you're thinking, I'd be thinking a few steps ahead, be thinking about their development, their plans, their where are they now? Where could they be in six months, 12 months, 18 months? What do you need to do to help them to get there? 
how do teams work together more? All of those layers which come through either good training and development or come through experience of doing it with stuff that wasn't there, unconscious incompetence. You know, that's the dangerous part where you're very well-meaning and maybe potentially a little bit skilled to some degree. At least when you're consciously incompetent and things, you, you know what you don't know, you can address those. And I think that was that's probably the big shift is getting some of the knowledge of what you don't know in your career because there's loads and loads and loads of things that I don't know and lots of other people aren't but it's being aware that I don't know them (laughs) rather than thinking that you can work your way past them without any kind of reason that's the big thing it's interesting because that came back quite um, a lot in the managers that I've interviewed that it's a work in progress and you're always learning and you're always amending the way you do things and arranging because it's always different people and things change, the environment change, they always change. So you have to uh, adapt. But I like how you also mentioned having a plan, even though the environment, the circumstances, the people might change, having a bit of a plan also help you plan for the future basically also and develop people and help them uh, accomplish what they have to accomplish some people are slightly more kind of chameleon-esque where the it's not that it's not that they're changing colors themselves to kind of see but you adapt you adapt to the environment around you you adapt to the team around you that skill is one of those ones where it's very difficult to teach it i think there's an element of that kind of eq side is the part where there's probably a little bit of that ability and it's not that it's necessary to have that but i think it it definitely helps because it means that that kind of learning and adapting is maybe a little bit more natural and if it doesn't come naturally to somebody that's absolutely fine because you can still plan and work out how things do change and you know reevaluate things but yeah certainly ways of working and I always talk about things like culture in a in an organization and when I've been recruiting people into a team my explanation is always that the culture of this team or this organization is this however it's not for you to fit into that culture that's for you to be aware of what the culture might feel like the things that we do but every new person who joins an an organization changes that culture they adapt to that culture so over time, they, they always shapeshift. There's, there might be a mission. There might be an overarching objective. There will always be words used, you know, mission statement. Oh, we're brave. We're this. We're that. The reality is, is they're, me- they're empty words unless you have people who believe in those behaviors or believe in those. And that they're, they're empty words unless from top to bottom you kind of have that in there. So having worked at and seen places where they talk about, say, being respectful to others, and then they act in a different way. That That's the dangerous kind of part to things, I think, where cultures and people and the way that things aren't, they adapt, but they don't adapt to a bigger mission. They don't adapt to the objectives that are in there. So I think that, that kind of whole having good managers in any organisation are hopefully ones who can act as that conduit between what's been required at the top and how things, how an organisation acts in reality and how the teams are engaged with, how the teams and individuals are supported, rewarded, guided. You know, if people aren't behaving in a way that an organisation would hope for, you need to be able to speak to them. You need to be able to show them why that 
approach or that behavior isn't quite right and you know it's those sorts of difficult conversations sometimes that are also a big part of being in in that that kind of management position because that behavior potentially has knock-on implications to other people and it's not just a one person it's one person changing that culture one person changing a dynamic changing a relationship and it all goes back to what do people stand for what do what does an individual manager and their way of managing kind of believe and if you believe in being respectful and making sure that everyone has every opportunity then you have to act in that way consistently I think for it so yeah one of the persons that I interviewed within the podcast also said that as a manager suddenly your role model face where you're also role modeling the behaviors that you want to see in the team the values that you stand by etc I think what you mentioned is really interesting is how you encourage the behaviors you want to see but also have that clear discussion when the behavior you're seeing is is not is conflicting with that and it's not helping the team culture because I feel like if you don't act now, then the ripple effect on the team is much more than you think it is. And you can end up having a team culture that is very detrimental to the business or detrimental to even the individuals in the teams, just because you let that situation kind of die by itself. It's a lot harder to come out of a negative situation than it is to the effort to keep a positive one positive. It's a lot harder to fix things that are broken. It's a lot more difficult to get people, especially if they build up a bit of muscle memory around acting in a particular way. That's where they'll naturally revert back to. And therefore, as, a, as leaders, as you get more senior, you get more distant from the most junior members of an organisation. And that actually is a bit of a challenge because the usually those who are coming in, especially like first career first kind of roles you need to make sure that the the people who are line managing them that are developing them are completely the right people because what they teach them in that first six months 12 months 18 months is going to set them on a trajectory for a lot of years to come so actually having that kind of early career development part is a really important bit and it's and it's sometimes something I've kind of perceived where people have got more senior who, who are brilliant leaders within businesses become a little bit too distant away from the new intake of people and and especially in growing businesses where you might be having a disproportion of new people coming into an organization you then find that that kind of layer there doesn't act in the way that you want a little bit further up in the organization so there's always that kind of interesting connect that the way to explain it is as people get more senior the next that their important layers are any or every layer within the organization especially in a kind of hierarchical structure where it exists because normally they concentrate on the layer below them and the problem with that is you're then too distant away from things that cause the problems or poor training or things where as an organization they're doing a disservice to people because they should be well trained but they need to be well supported they need to know the behaviours and a clear view of what the organisation or the team or whatever it is that you work in wants from them and what they should expect from the organisation back. He there is making sure there's not a disconnect. It's not a one-way system of you come into work, you get paid, do what we say. It's that whole everybody in a business. And I think with you know a lot of things for the last couple of years, retention's become quite a, a difficult challenge in some industries. This is why, like I say, 
I don't think as many organisations put as much value around good management of teams and culture within organisations. Because if we were, retention issues shouldn't be quite as challenging as they are. A lot of the blame always goes on pay. Oh, they left for more money. But why did that person look to leave in the first place? Why were they susceptible to an offer to go to somewhere else or feel that another organisation would be a good career move for them? It's down to that internal support and structure, really, that's put in place in that culture. So any organisational commercial entity and every piece of research I've seen around this kind of backs it up. A better focus on how you manage people and you know, look after the culture within businesses and organisations usually ends up yielding much better productivity, much better commercial outcomes and hitting those objectives. But it always seems to be the part of the business where it's secondary to those technical yeah. focuses that, that within a business. So. And even when a business is starting to struggle or struggling, there's much more emphasis on the short-term results, etc. And I feel like all of the culture, the training is more of a long-term game. You don't, it doesn't yield results right now, right? It's going to yield results maybe in six months to a year time, even sometimes maybe longer. So it's also, <laughs> I feel it's very much, you know, the finance perspective, looking at the numbers. So what is the return investment right now? And then not looking at the potential, you know, long-term effect of, of investing in that. We've got to be pragmatic as well, that businesses have and organizations have things that are difficult decisions they've got certain challenges so there will always be good reasons behind a lot of these things but the way that you deal with them the way that you implement them is obviously quite important and i think the just the other big shift that we've seen the last couple of years post covid is just the the fact that especially for the workforce probably under the age of 30 in particular is this desire to work remotely or in a hybrid, flexible fashion. That's another challenge where we're, we're now seeing, I think somebody described it as a, as a kind of Nike swoosh effect at the moment, where there's been this kind of drawback of desire to get people back in offices because it's the best place to be. Best place to be is in the office because we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. That's fine to a point, but you've got to have a plan for how you manage that. Because what I think we're now seeing is a challenging time for managers to manage teams often in a hybrid or remote working, but they're not skilled in necessarily managing that effectively. But also, probably more importantly, the organisations are not skilled at creating a plan that permeates all the way through the organisation about how to implement that. To give an example of a, a kind of former role and a former advertising group, there is a need for everybody to be in the office three days a week. That's the diktat that comes from on high. Brilliant. Why do people need to be in three days a week? What is it the benefits of being in three days a week? Because you've got to communicate that to the teams to make them understand that there is some sort of benefit. And if the benefit is, well, we can train people face-to-face -face more effectively in our mind, great go about it because we can do work collaboratively in a way that you can't with mixed teams. Okay, fair enough. So there'll be all these reasons that come out. The challenge then is, are organisations arming their managers with a clear set of reasons of what they need to be doing and then giving them support for how to work effectively as a hybrid team 
What is it that people need to come together to do? If you're going to tell people that they need to travel at expense, at time away on a commute, things that they believe are not that motivating for them because that's what they're not used to at the moment, how are you making that useful time? Are those teams being put in together on the same days? Are you doing it so there's work done in the right fashion? You've got to plan for these things and you've got to be able to implement them. Otherwise, you end up with the scenario which I've seen more of with people. You're in on a Monday. That person's in on a Wednesday and a Thursday. They come in on Tuesdays. So you don't get any of the benefits of why the teams are being brought together. You just end up with people slightly resenting the fact that you've been asked to go into an office X number of days a week and it's a it's an arbitrary box ticking exercise because somebody on high has decided that's the way that it needs to be done. So I think there's things like that where it's starting to get a little bit better now. I think organisations are starting to recognise that there needs to be a bit more of a plan and there needs to be a bit more to be done. But actually, I do wonder if one of the opportunities over the sort of coming months and years is that managers in particular need to be given support on how to work more effectively in a kind of hybrid or remote model or a flexible model in a way that we haven't had to do. And that going back to your point earlier about managers always learning, it's a big, it's a big challenge. It's a big change because if you're used to being face to face for one to ones and doing them more remotely or only seeing one, two members of a team, but you've got three who are not there at the same time, how do you deal with those? How do you adapt to all of those? And how do you make things work where those who need more flexibility in their location are given it and those who don't both feel like they're getting something out of their way their way of working and their style of working so this this you know as as anyone in a manager role it should be an exciting time these days because there's a lot more to learn a lot more to do than probably we've ever had as a kind of download of information and a download of different processes and different ways of working it's very true and and makes me think of intentionality that you're putting behind the time that you're spending with people in your team coming back to what you were saying about like companies that are you know three days awake in the office I feel like those days are cramped with back-to-back meetings and we're not really in the room where we are physically in the room so is how do you come back with to that intentionality of being in the room like fully when you're having a conversation or a team meeting, etc. with people? Because I think that's one of the things that we've lost. The attention span has reduced to so, so much. And with that remote setting, it's like, okay, we're all in the office or potentially in the same days or not even in the same days. But are we really there when we are there? No, you're absolutely right with that. And there's that little bit of trial and error, people kind of learning and yeah. adapting. It's useful time. And I know there was, uh, I, I can't remember quite the source of it, but I saw something a few days ago, basically demonstrating from research that into hybrid working, the amount of time spent in meetings has gone up, you know, more than doubled. And it's not that those meetings are useful meetings, but they're meetings because it's that ah, we're all together, let's go and do things and sometimes those meetings might be useful but in half the time and done remotely on a day because actually it's not the it's not the need to have everybody physically around the table Mm. that's the challenge so it's that you know how do you make things useful for the time of those individuals when they're there and it probably isn't a case of having six hours out of your eight hour day in the office 
sat in meeting rooms listening to things, but it might be that a two-hour workshop in a particular way with particular things is a really good use of time because you can't replicate that via Zoom or via a Teams meeting. But you can replicate everyone sat around a table on a Friday on a Zoom or a Teams meeting. So it's it's that kind of, it's not just about proximity of being in one place, therefore we can all come together. It's, again, having that vision from the top of why people should be in an organisation at the same time, what is it you need them to do? Putting a proper focus on making people's time and effort and energy utilised properly rather than an arbitrary, we just want you to be in. I think there's been some cases recently in America where they've reversed out of having remote working and insisting that people have to be in the office two or three days a week or you have to relocate to an office location area to be doing that and the problem with it is it often that kind of lack of flexibility often hits those who are most um either with flexibility needs so usually hits women disproportionately to men it often hits particularly um dei kind of covered groups where for for various reasons people you know whether it's disability or whether it's um, ethnicity this socio-economic reasons there's lots of stuff in there where you end up disadvantaging the very people that as organisations you're trying to Im- ensure that they're given as fair an opportunity and as fair and inclusive a working environment as the, you can so that it is completely fair and you know done in the right way. But then you're acting in a way like this that inadvertently undermines all of that good work. So there's, there's a lot to be in there and you know, as, as managers within organisations as well as managing the teams around you, a lot of sometimes which is unpopular is managing messaging, going back up, making sure that you're trying to help set the direction of travel for an organisation and calling out things that are unfair or calling out things where there might be a little bit of a disconnect between what you want to do and what you're actually doing within an organisation. So I think that's the probably the only other thing I would say on the, the management side is there's a responsibility upwards as well and that sometimes is the harder thing to do because sometimes it isn't welcome (laughs) sometimes it's just that it's really difficult because of the day-to-day role which is facing in a different direction but you know that that to me is the the big challenge of anybody in a management role is you know can you go to bed at night sleep and sleep well knowing that you've treated those in your teams and those around you properly and fairly and equitably but also are you doing the best you can be within an organisation to ensure that it's continuing to progress and to do the right things by those around? And that's not always, as I say, the easiest thing to kind of reconcile because sometimes it's, it's hard feedback that people might need to hear but might not want to hear. I feel like from all of our conversation as we're nearing the end, right? All of our conversation is also about how do you find balance in the team, the individual, the speed of your decision, not the speed of your decisions, managing upwards, managing your team, saying the right thing at the right moment, etc. So it feels like there's a, a fine balance in the decision making as a manager on the decisions you're making and the behaviors you're having, etc. It can be hard. It, it can be really hard, but also it can be probably the most, I think, I think some people like certain elements of their job. I think if you, and, and, and whatever that job might be technically skilled or day-to-day, 
for me, the rewarding part is always if you are seeing people that you've worked with do well, and especially if you've been involved in their kind of training and development. And most of them have gone and done better things than I've done. But the thing is, the part behind it is that you've been involved with making sure that their career development and how they've gone on years, to, you know, they're set up for success. And that to me is probably the the motivating part is seeing success from other people that you've worked with because you know you've to some small degree helped them on their way with that it's still up to them to do all of the hard stuff because they still have to be clever and smart and amazing to get the rewards for what we've done but yeah that that kind of fundamentals of ensuring that you know we're, we're, we're kind of we've got a responsibility to people around us to do the best that we can to ensure that they can have a good career. Sounds like a magical job with lots of responsibilities. <laughs> but Mark, can you let us know, let's say you're, we're interested in getting in contact with you and know more about you, where is the best way to connect with you? So I, I am very hidden away at the moment. So as Rene uh, knows, I'm, uh, I'm now, I've, I've just been having a nice little sabbatical from the world of marketing and media and other things and um, just about to uh, embark on a slightly different journey ironically um uh, with the or relevantly to- topic at hand around uh kind of people and making hybrid working and flexible working be a lot more so at, at the moment i am uh, easily found on linkedin mark varley uh, but also can be emailed on mark at markv.co.uk for anyone who needs to ask any questions or need somebody to give them some advice or tell them what not to do because if I've done it before it's probably worth doing it slightly differently but certainly always happy to reach out and uh, networking with people. I will leave um, all of that also in the notes um, of the podcast but thank you so much Mark for being with us today on the podcast and looking forward to see where you're going to come up with in terms of organization and people and working in remote spaces. Oh, thank you. And I will definitely be uh, making good use of your feedback and asking you for some help as well with that, because uh, I think we're all here for trying to do things in a better way around the people side. So, uh, you know, already you're doing that with this podcast and with your content and things you're sharing on LinkedIn. So uh, we shall all continue to uh, try and make things better. So that, that's the good part. So something to aim for is a better place for all of us to work in. So we'll, we'll carry on with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of happy and cooperate the podcast if you feel this episode could be valuable to someone else make sure you share it with this lovely person and subscribe to the podcast on the platform you use if you have some feedback make sure you leave it to me on instagram and see you very soon for another episode